Hi and welcome back to the show. Today I have a really interesting, exciting and very different interview for you. I'm talking to Amanda Kua. She is the founder of Backscoop, which is a Southeast Asian focused startup and tech newsletter. It is produced four times per week and it started almost one year ago uh, today. So Amanda Kua is quite a special person. She is she graduated high school, that's high school, two years ago. And because of COVID, she decided to uh, skip university or certainly take some time out. And that began her journey into startups and the tech scene. And eventually, uh, one year ago, to start Backscoop. And I think I don't want to speak for her here, but I think Backscoop was somewhat modeled on the successes of Morning Brew and The Hustle, uh, which are well-known startup and business newsletters in the US. And Amanda has uh, taken inspiration from those models and developed a really successful Southeast Asian-based startup and tech scene newsletter. And you, of course, will hear the journey in the podcast. Um, but it's a really inspiring story and one that is quite successful for only being 12 months into this journey. I learned so much from Amanda in this conversation and got some really great insights into the Gen Z of today and in the Philippines specifically and how they uh, see the opportunities and future prospects and also the attractiveness of the startup and tech scene as they come out of college. So really good conversation with Amanda. I encourage you to have a listen and also check out her newsletter, which is Backscoop. And all of that, of course, is in the show notes. As always, you can find those at outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most 
prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Amanda, I want to start by asking you, what is, what is the scoop on Backscoop? Well, basically, Backscoop is a daily newsletter that makes it fun and easy for anyone to stay updated with everything in Southeast Asian tech and business. So basically, you have one email to read every morning and you'll stay updated with everything that's been happening. Then you can go about the rest of your day without reading any other news because we got you covered every single morning. Fantastic. And I keep an eye out on the news. news the newsletter industry has just gone crazy lately, hasn't it? With the, Well, not lately, but over the last couple of years with Substack and uh, myself, I read The Hustle and I read Morning Brew and um, and they're quite a simplistic business model, but they can be highly effective and that can actually grow into pretty powerful, pretty significant businesses. So I think you're, you're really on something there, Amanda. But um, so a really exciting journey. Maybe we can, I suppose, add a little bit more color to the, to the story by, do you want to just give us an introduction to you and, and how you found yourself here uh, editing and publishing and writing Backscoop every day? Yeah, so I guess my origin story really starts in 2020. So I think what not a lot of people might know is that in 2020, I actually graduated from high school. I was planning to go to uni, um, but then because of the pandemic, I felt like you know going to university over Zoom and doing all of these things just didn't make sense. There wasn't any ROI there. I decided to take a year off and ended up discovering a startup here in the Philippines called Avian School. Long story short, I wanted to be an engineer because they were teaching Filipinos to be software engineers. And I thought that might be something really good to learn because tech was getting big and would be a great way for me to find a job, even if you know the pandemic would ruin everything. So it was all about that for me at the beginning. I wanted to be an engineer. Um, but it seemed like life had other plans for me. I realized that I had no skill at all or no potential at all to be an engineer, maybe based on my interests and my own skill set. Ended up working there at Avian School as the first employee. I think I was really lucky because I think 2020, 2021 onwards set a lot of growth for the Philippine startup scene. And I was able to be right in front of it and be part of it um, by working at an early stage startup at the same time. So I worked there as the first employee. And one of the tasks that I had was actually working with a lot of different startups in the Philippines and Southeast Asia and in the West. Um, because I had to get these companies as partners to hire the engineers that our startup was training. And that gave me, one, a really good opportunity to pay close attention to the kinds of startups that were coming out of the Philippines and every single country in Southeast Asia. And I think the takeaway I had there was, one, there was a lot of growth in Southeast Asia. I would read the news every single day, startup news, just because I really loved reading the news. And I noticed that no matter how many times I refresh my um, LinkedIn, all of these tech media sites, I'd always see so many new startups doing so many interesting things, and I couldn't keep track of anything. It was already very, very hard. And the second thing I took away was not only was startup news super difficult to keep up with, it was also that countries like the Philippines were really starting to emerge in terms of the startup ecosystem. If you were in the Philippine startup ecosystem way before 2020, you know, it was not anything like it is now. And what I was able to see was that, you know, 2020 onwards, the time that I was starting to work at the company, 
as the months flew by, the rate of Philippine startups that I was starting to partner with was just increasing. So I told myself, okay, so one, um, it's super difficult to keep up with Southeast Asian tech. Two, countries like the Philippines, their startup ecosystems are starting to grow at an even more rapid pace. So what does that mean for me? What that means for me is that it's just going to get even harder to keep up with Southeast Asian tech um, in the next few months. And one of the things I always did every single day was actually read a newsletter. So I would read all the things that you mentioned, Morning Brew, The Hustle, every single morning. I think I would spend a good 30 minutes just going through my inbox, reading all the newsletters. And one day it just hit me. Um, why don't I just try um, making a newsletter just to put all of these startups, all of the startup news into one place? Because one of the biggest problems I had was I was refreshing so many different web pages just to keep up. So I thought the simplest thing would be to put it all in one place. And I told myself, maybe this is how other people can keep up with the news in Southeast Asian tech really easily, because no matter who I speak to, coworkers, other founders, other people that I worked with, they all agreed it was really hard. So I thought there's potential here for something and it might as well try with something simple like a newsletter. And so I decided to leave my job. Um, and in a month, I started Backscoop, just started writing one newsletter every single week with the biggest Southeast Asian tech news and a couple of links for people to stay updated. And from there, it's changed a lot. So at the beginning, it was just a couple of people reading and you know one newsletter a week. Now we publish four times a week and we now have around 6,000 um, readers and everybody there is pretty much a founder, a VC, an executive, somebody in the Southeast Asian side of space. That's great, Amanda. You've done incredible. Yeah? And to think that you just graduated school back in 2020 and of course yeah. you know it's been a tough time like with covid and the disruption and not being able to go to college and uh, but then of course it seems that you have found your path and even you know it's an exciting journey to have joined avian school which is kind of for the audience out there it's kind of like lambda school where it's uh, teaching people to be devs and coders in 12 weeks uh, and then you know actually going to work for Avian and Avian also being a Y Combinator alumni. It's, it's really pretty cool. And the, the journey that you have been on, I think, you know, as you have sort of highlighted is it sounds like a Silicon Valley journey almost. And that kind of journey was not available in the Philippines five or 10 years ago. And it's fantastic now to see that you're seeing sort of Y Combinator startups here. You're seeing people come out of, school into startups and then starting their own startups and that's an incredible sort of ecosystem that i think is relatively recent in the philippines and it's so so exciting to see what did you what did you take away from avian did you you know we'll start on avian and then i want to get to um back scoop but how, what was it like working for a startup what was it about working in a startup that you thought you know that's that's the kind of environment you want and you thrive in because they can be pretty hectic, huh? like they're pretty disorganized, uh, um, pretty chaotic environments. I think you really hit the nail on the head of what you said earlier. I don't think what I've been able to experience over the past few months or the past two years actually was ever available to anybody um, before. In fact, maybe it was only possible really in 2020, maybe even before that, nothing like this could have happened. Um, I think at Avian School, I was really lucky to find an environment where, you know, I joined right after the founders. So 
I was able to see everything start from the ground up. I knew everything. I would read all the documents from the legal side to the financial side to um, the engineering side. Like I would learn all about the words that all of these engineers would use. I learned everything about the company that I could. And from there, um, I was able to help them build so many different things across all of the different um, parts of the business. And I think that was really exciting. For me, I think what I was lucky to have was the experience of learning how to build something from the ground up and learning all of the things that are a part of that. Because let's say if I just joined a company, like a big multinational company, I'd never understand how products would even begin, how people started them, and the hard work that goes behind all of it. Like, how do you even find customers? How do you convince people to join you? Um, how do you convince people to buy your product when you don't have any brand name, when your product is really you know, not very well-designed or not the best in the market yet, maybe? Or maybe nobody even knows about it. For example, for us, we were the first that would make... In- income share agreements in the Philippines. You had to explain to people how they even worked and that they were not a scam. So I think that was a really good experience for me, um, learning how to build things from the ground up, learning the dirty work that comes behind all of the products that are built. And I guess like learning about all of the long hours that are a part of that. It's a lot of long hours, a lot of hard work, a lot of disheartening things um, for something that, really is just an idea or a belief. And I think being able to experience that with a very supportive group of people, then um, having an opportunity to, you know, be backed, be a part of a company that's backed by, let's say, foreign investors like Tinder co-founder Justin Mateen and Y Combinator, I think that was a very good experience for me because I think if I worked at a startup, you know, that wasn't well-funded, that um, nobody really knew about, I don't think I would have the same experience. And your journey, you you sort of didn't go the traditional route of getting college education. And I would suggest that you're, you're finding your own education, you're educating yourself, and it's kind of street um, education on the street. But, you know, you are a, a Filipino in the Philippines. And again, 10 years ago, I think you would have been limited to the Philippine environment. But do you feel you know, you're really getting a global education. You are connected. You know, you, you you get inspiration from the hustle in the morning brew and no doubt sort of a lot of other sources globally. Do you feel that you are, you're kind of acting within a global environment? Do you feel that you're sort of limited to your Philippine environment or you're actually leveraging all of the best globally? In fact, you know, I suppose a more direct question how do you learn? Is it is it from blogs? Is it from podcasts? Is it YouTube? Where do you sort of source your knowledge and experience from? I think from when I was a kid, I've always tried to learn from everywhere. So um, I think my parents, they, they didn't grow up actually in the capital city. So my parents actually grew up um, in some of the provinces here. But I, ever since they, I think they had me, they always wanted to have me learn um, from a global perspective from day one. So with whatever they had, they always tried to, for example, my first language growing up was English. They tried to put me in a school where I'd also get to learn Chinese and I'd get to have that perspective. Growing up, I watched a lot of different movies from all different kinds of languages, English and all these other things. Um, And one of the things that I think grew as a habit was, you know, just trying to learn from everywhere. 
So I'd learn, for example, Chinese. I think one of the funny stories was my mom can't speak Chinese, so she'd call my grandmother and she'd just regurgitate whatever my grandmother said without understanding it, just so I could learn. And I think those kinds of processes growing up really get instilled into you. So when I, for example, was in high school, I'd learn, let's say, economics. Um, I'd learn from the book. I'd learn from the teacher. I'd also go online and search, print all sorts of things, find other books, go to the teacher and ask, hey, what's this concept and all these other things. Then I tried to look into, let's say, movies and videos and try to extract what I could learn from those things. So it's really just learning from everywhere. I try not to treat one resource as the holy grail and just try to see what I can learn from everyone. Working at a startup also allowed me to learn even more because it taught me one concept, which is to unlearn a lot of the things that you already know. Um, so it really taught me to have an even more open mind. And one other thing was, I think when you work at a startup, there are lots of things going wrong and you can make a lot of mistakes. And one thing I learned learning at a startup was, you know, when you make a mistake, you don't try to think of, okay, I made that mistake. I feel so bad. You just try to think, okay, I made that mistake. Okay. What did I do wrong? Which part went wrong? How could have I done it better? And you just try to come out of that situation without the, the bad feelings, getting angry that somebody told you off and things like that. Because at the end of the day, you're all working to make something a lot better and a lot bigger for other people. Well done. And the, so you chose Backscoop as your first project. And, you know, I think it's the right approach. Like everyone should approach their business as a project. And then it, you know, it grows into something, uh, if successful, much bigger than, than the original intention, which, which Backscoop now seems to have incredible momentum and um, support. And, you know, I see that you're getting a really great following on, I see you on LinkedIn and, you know, it, it's, you're really creating that kind of vibe and community which is so so valuable and uh it's it's an absolute success what what's a typical uh day like for you and um is it just you still at Backscoop? like what what's it what's it looking like right now yeah so it's still me in the day-to-day -day. i run it alone so everything you write all of the social media posts that's all just me under different names um and different accounts my day-to-day -day is usually like this. So I wake up. Um, if I can, I try to work out in the morning. Um, after that, I try to plan my day. So by pl to plan the day, I usually look at the metrics. So how well did we do last week? So how many new subscribers did we get? How many subscribers did we get yesterday? Um, what kind of tasks did I have left uh, over from last week? What kind of tasks should I do um, today and this week? Then... I try to go through my email, my messages. I tend to get a lot because we're pretty active. I'm pretty active in speaking with a lot of the readers and like reading Backscoop. Then try to keep my meetings to the afternoons. So usually 1 p.m. onwards, I have a lot of different meetings. Then after that, I try to squeeze in a little bit of other kinds of work and then do the writing. Um, so usually late afternoons onwards, I'm writing the newsletter. So as we speak, I think 50% of my newsletter is done for tomorrow. Nice. I'm going to be, I'm going to be reading it with, with great interest <laughs> when it comes into my inbox tomorrow. And I understand you, you actually celebrated this moment, but you know, you have gone from zero from nothing to now 6,000 um, subscribers and recently you just monetized it so again that's the next step in the evolution of the business and it hasn't taken too long but you're now monetizing this which I imagine is is quite a, a proud moment as well yeah so 
the first day that I think Backscoop was, you know, available for anyone to subscribe was actually August 15 last year. So I think it's really interesting, like almost a year later or not even a year later, uh, we've already announced that we're going to monetize. We already have some people lined up who are really interested in working with us. So I'm pretty happy with what we've been able to do. And I think it just shows like that, you know, a lot can be achieved in just a year. But at the same time, it reminds me that there's still so much more to come. Because if, you know, this kind of thing can happen in a year when I didn't even expect, you know, the idea to work in the first place, I just hoped it did based on my assumptions. Um, Like what what could there be in the next two, three, four, five years? Did you manage your sort of downside? Like, were you, did you say to yourself, you're going to give this six months and you wanted X number of subscribers? Did you, did you have a, a plan B? For me, um, I'm the kind of person to go all in with whatever I'm doing, which is I left my job. I think for me, um, the plan was really to focus on it for as long as I can and see where it, where it takes us, where it takes me. And I think the first six months was the real gauge for me to see, okay, um, how much work does this take? Is this working well? And, you know, I think before I could even doubt myself so much, I think things really started to work. We raised an angel around um, last year with a few really interesting people. Um, And then apart from that, you know, of course, there have been hard times. There was a time, I think, in December where our numbers were just not going up. But then everything just spiked up again. And I think one of the biggest things is just seeing the kinds of people who respond. So at the beginning, it was a lot of interns, a lot of analysts um, in the startup ecosystem. And then nowadays, I get a lot of calls. I get a lot of emails from people who are really high-level founders, partners, managing partners at VC firms. And I think those are really signs that you know this is something that people want and this is something that I should keep doing. And you've chosen sort of Southeast Asia tech startup scene. Um, this whole thing is, you know, it's it's huge. Why why Southeast Asia? Like, what, and where do you think the Philippines fits in in that story? How do you feel about the whole sort of Southeast Asian narrative within the startup and tech scene? I think well, Southeast Asia has become more and more popular, and it's seen as an entire region. Um, for example, people talk about Asia, people talk about Africa, people talk about that. Um, Southeast Asia talked about Southeast Asia, not necessarily by just a few countries. So I think it made sense to divide it into there. And, you know, with politics, with every other, you know, different field, you know, Southeast Asia is referred to as one chunk. And I think looking deeper into it, I think, you know, with Southeast Asia, you build a company in Singapore, you build a company in the Philippines, somewhere down the line, you'll probably think of expanding to some other country. But that's usually in Southeast Asia, so it makes sense. And at the same time, founders, VCs, when they look into the market, they look at Southeast Asia as a whole. And there was no other platform that I saw covering Southeast Asia only. They would cover Asia as a whole, typically. So I thought it was a good opportunity for there to be one platform with just Southeast Asia, especially with growing interest in in the market as a whole, not just in just Singapore or just in Asia as a whole. So I wanted to capitalize on that. And I think where the Philippines fits in is because, you know, there's Singapore, right? Everybody knows about Singapore. And then what happened next was Indonesia became the next big thing. And I think, you know, now we have the emerging players. So Philippines, Vietnam, all these other countries in Southeast Asia that weren't so talked about before. I think where it fits in is because, you know, we see 
unicorns in Indonesia already. Now it's time to look at what other potential is there in the other markets. And that's what people are looking at. And I think, especially based on the conversations I've had with a lot of people, the Philippines is one of the next places people are really turning to to see what opportunity is there. And I'm seeing that as well, you know, and I, I've, I've sort of been connected to the tech scene here, for, I suppose, for maybe 15 years. And it, it's it started from very small beginnings. But now, you know, in the last five years, you're starting to see all of the big Silicon Valley firms want positions in Southeast Asia. And a lot of them are opening offices in uh, Singapore, of course, but to cover the Southeast Asian region. And, you know, you're getting a lot of recent interest from Andreessen and Horowitz and Sequoia and, you know, all of the biggest names in in uh, VC is, is right. I think they're now realizing the value of, of this, uh, this region, which is really powerful. And I'm so hopeful for the Philippines as well. I think it's just got this incredible mix of, uh, you know, young population, uh, emerging market. And of course, it's... Um, just speaks English, doesn't it? You know, I, I can't yeah, imagine how difficult it would be for startups in across Indonesia. There's so many different sort of cultures to 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 manage, whereas in the Philippines, everything seems very homogenized and kind of English as a uniting language. So uh, it's certainly exciting to to see the the growth uh, and it's hap- and how it's happening. How how do you see the recent events of the downturn in the US and VCs apparently beginning to tighten their belts. Are you concerned for, you know, there's been a lot of great news to come out of VCs and and Southeast Asia over the last five years. Do you think that that could reverse or do you think that things will just quieten down a bit? I think what's interesting to see is what companies actually survive this because, you know, it's one thing to do well when a lot of VCs are pouring money into your company, and it's another thing to do well even when times are hard. I think the best founders will be able to make it through even when times are hard because it just matters like you know, how well you can run your company. Dealing with the, for example, lack of funding if there's a lack of it. Um, dealing with maybe having to lay off people or having to be more prudent or having to focus on certain key objectives instead of, you know, funneling money into other places. I think it's just a matter of how can you be efficient. Um, obviously, not all con- not all companies are going to make it through, but I'd like to think that the best companies will really try a way, try, try a way to survive all of this. And I think, you know, those winners will be able to come out even stronger when the money comes back in. And at the same time, I think, you know, the downturn will make a lot more investors also be more careful about who they invest in, make smarter investments, and be, I think, very bullish about the companies and supportive of the companies that they really think are going to make it. And on the ground then, you know, your uh, contemporaries, uh, people that might be in college now, how do they, how do you feel that they see the startup scene? Again, 10 years ago, I didn't think that people would really consider it. And people might consider a more sort of standardized, safe uh, profession. How are people viewing, what would you call it, Z, uh, Gen Zs? Like, would they, how, how do they see the startup scene now? Is, is everyone keen to jump into startups? I think I've seen a lot of excitement actually coming into the startup scene. Um, you know, there are lots of tech groups, tech orgs in colleges, universities, people who are really keen 
to work in the space or just build their own things. So I think what's interesting is that, for example, in, in Singapore, they have a student-run VC fund. In a lot of other universities, they have you know programs, internships that take them to tech companies and startups or just you know organizations that let the students build themselves and do their own pitches. I think that's really interesting. For me personally, I didn't think I'd be in tech. I thought I'd work as a banker, um, hopefully on Wall Street. Obviously, that's not what I want for myself anymore. But I think, you know, after seeing the potential of the startup ecosystem being in it, you know, I, I dropped that entire, you know, dream for myself and wholeheartedly wanted to j- jump in on this one. And I think it just goes to show what, you know, strong potential, strong growth and seeing the startup ecosystem, you know, transform from something that you didn't really think about to something that was going onto the headlines. I think it really brings a lot of people to stop, look um, and reconsider what they want for themselves, because I think what people are um, seeing in the startup ecosystem is that they can also build something for other people, help more people, and just see themselves grow at a rapid pace. And I think that's the opportunity that a startup gives you, whether you're a founder or an employee. If you join a fast-growing startup, you'll be able to have the opportunity to grow in ways that you wouldn't have ever expected in such a short period of time. And do you think that Gen Z, they're, they're now educating themselves, growing up in an environment where they see um, themselves as sort of global participants, you know, like they're kind of learning from, I don't know, MOOCs and um, forums and chat groups like internationally, are they, they're kind of taking inspiration from a global environment? I suppose I'm hunting for an answer here, but, you know, I, I suppose the, the whole world to me looks like it's becoming more and more internationalized, you know, and you take inspiration from Wall Street and then Silicon Valley. And whereas I sort of think 20 years ago, that just wouldn't have been the case. Like, um, do you sort of see college students now that they're, they're just kind of, um, seeing the globe as as their single opportunity? I think the thing is, like with the internet, you're not restricted to just headlines from your country anymore. Before, you know, ages ago, you get the newspaper. It's some parts of world news that maybe you wouldn't even care to read. Um, and then a lot of things about your country. Now, you know, you're in just a few clicks. You see everything around the world, not just like the biggest news in the world, but you can look into everything part of the world. You can look in America, you can look into the UK, um, and you see all sorts sorts of, you know, different kinds of sections of the world. You can see the tech world, you can see the business world, the finance world. And sometimes you don't even want or think of like, okay, I'm going to go on this website to look at this. It just pops up and you see it. I think what happens now is that with the internet and the whole internationalization of everything, like, you know, companies expanding to your country, new products launching in your country, you're kind of forced to look outside your own country now um, in more ways than you could have or would have 50 years ago, 30 years ago. And for some people, I think it gives them the opportunity to open their mind. And I think with people who now are in emerging markets that are increasingly getting richer, you can actually afford to dream bigger. And I think that's the interesting point. Because now, you know, your your family's income is much higher than it would have been before. There are more opportunities to study abroad, work abroad than before. So now you have an opportunity 
to raise the ceiling and chase a bigger dream than you would have even perceived or thought of 50 years ago, 30 years ago, because it was just too hard. Or you just couldn't even think about it. Yeah. And startups can be a riskier path. Uh, and it, you know, as you say, it, you almost need to go all in. What do you think the older generation, the parents think about this more sort of swashbuckling, riskier approach of, of joining startups or starting a startup yourself? Would you say that the sort of the parents are a little bit concerned about this trend? Or, you know, do you think they would prefer that this generation becomes the bankers or doctors still? I think it's a mix of two things. I think every parent wants to see their child achieve great things to work in a company for them to be excited. I think when you work at a startup, you become sort of a part of a greater cause, especially if you're at one of those, I think, startups that demand a bit more of you. But if you love it, then you'll really dedicate a lot of yourself to it. I think parents will be happy to see their children achieve more, be happy with their jobs, feel like they're making a big impact. But I think where, you know, they're not happy is, for example, some startups might not pay you that well at the start because, you know, um, you know, they're, they're a startup, they're just starting out or they're going to try to pay you an equity. Like that's unheard of to a lot of people's parents. Like, why would they pay you an equity? How do these terms work? What does it mean that you're not going to get the, your shares in the company until like X years? What if it doesn't go well? There are lots of questions like that. Um, apart from that, I think, um, you know, seeing their child take a lot of risk is really hard when they know that, for example, their child could go on to one of the best universities in the world or even in their country or when they, you know their child can work at a great company. You know, they know their kids are smart. They know their kids work hard and they're just scared that, you know, this, these smarts will become a wasted opportunity if they go pick the wrong startup or they build the wrong startup. I think that's the thing. And they don't have like a North Star or case studies that they can check, right? of like how they can deal with these things or how they can approach it. Because in their time, like these startups were so far away from them or these kinds of experiences were so far away from them, right? Yeah. And as well, you know, I'm tapping into you to get insights into the the Gen Z and um, what do people, you know, the kids in college today, do they see the opportunity to work globally? Now, you know, you can be a dev, you can be digital marketing, you can be design, a writer, um, anything. And you no longer have to limit your job search to someone in the Philippines, you know, an employer in the Philippines, which again is what would traditionally happen. You can just as easily go to a remote um, job site and get employment from anyone across the globe. Do the the kids of today, sorry to keep on referring, but do, do the people of today realize that actually, you know, they can join the global economy um, at a globally competitive salary? Is that kind of on the radar of people right now? I think that's the interesting thing. You know, even people like me, when I was growing up, my dream was, you know, to go to a good university, then study hard so I could work in the US and get a good job. It never occurred to me that I could sit in my house and then be working for the U.S. from my laptop in the Philippines and still making a great salary higher than a lot of other people in my country. Even to me in 2020, that was not something I ever thought of. I only thought of, you know, working um, in the U.S. Uh, physically. Mm. But I think I've seen more people actually take that leap, um, if I can say so myself, um, from people that I've 
you know, seen on LinkedIn, connected with in the past, I've seen more and more profiles of people that, you know, are in the Philippines, but they're actually working for another company. For example, they're working from their house um, for a company in the U.S., or there's an office here in the Philippines, and they're working, um, let's say, as an engineering team or as a customer support team for a company that's not in that location, but, you know, that subsection of the team is operating from the Philippines together in one place. And I think those are really interesting and they're starting to pop up more and more. And I think one of the really interesting parts for me as well is, you know, if you go work in the U.S. uh, physically or in other countries physically, you have to go through all of that pain of like immigrating, paying the taxes, how much you actually take home once you're done paying the rent, paying for your school, um, paying all of these things. When maybe if you work from home, um, you might actually take home much more money um, for yourself, for your family, because the expenses are much lower here. And I think the the really key part for me, I, I was always really into economics when I was younger, which, you know, the key part for me is like you get the money here in the Philippines, you're paid here in the Philippines, and you actually are able to take that money you get from abroad and spend it um, in your home country, contributing to the GDP of your country and helping it you know, improve, go up, and help the lives of other people inadvertently. Yeah, and that's why I'm powerful. excited about it. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, and and it stops the brain drain as well. Eh? Like, there's obviously yeah. been generations of people that have had to go overseas to earn money to support their family, and again, there's options now for people to sit at home and stay with their family right. and support their communities. It's pretty pretty powerful, and so your your you know back scoop the. The environment is Southeast Asia. How have you found um, branching out to those countries? Of course, it's all virtually and, and you're just covering those countries. But have you found that you're able to build a network across those countries now with the work you're doing? Yeah, and I think that's the most worthwhile part about my job and one of the most surprising things. I mean, two years ago, I was like a high school graduate sitting in the same place, like literally the same place with the exact same setup here. Um, logging into, you know, classes. And two years later, I would find myself, you know, I, I have meetings with people who are really high level, um, who are making investments in some of the most exciting companies in the region, meaning some founders who are actually building some of the most exciting companies and they actually want to speak to me. And, you know, like I wasn't even in this industry two years ago, right? But I think it was only made possible by a few things. Like one, I covered the whole Southeast Asian region, Um I've covered their companies or companies of their friends or companies they've invested in. And, you know, I publish it online. I've done that consistently for one year and I've been able to, you know, get readers from the Philippines. But, you know, eventually because of social media, my posts started popping up on all kinds of people's news feeds on LinkedIn and all of these other social media sites. So eventually our readership actually turned into our top three markets being Singapore being number one, Indonesia becoming number two and Philippines being number three. When at the beginning, it was just the Philippines. Yeah. 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 That's incredible, huh? What a journey. And so where do you see the future then? What's what's the next 12 months going to have in store for you and Backscoop? What do you think is going to happen? I think the really exciting part is figuring out this whole monetization side. Um, You know, we launched it. We're going to launch our first few ads very soon. But at the end of the year, I think things will run a lot more smoothly. We'll have a really good process and, you know, we'll have a consistent set of ad partners. I think that's very exciting. Another thing that I'm very excited about is, you know, um, being able to 
go out to other countries. So there are a few conferences coming up and I'll be able to attend those um, in other parts of Southeast Asia. And it will be very exciting to be able to meet more people from the community um, and, you know, get to know a lot of people a lot better. Because I think at the heart of it, Backscoop is all about trying to solve the problems of people in the Southeast Asian tech scene. And the first problem was really there was no way to keep up with the news in an easy way. And that's the first problem we solved. And I think what's going to be exciting is getting to know these people a lot better in person um, as I travel and, you know, looking into what other ways we can help them, what other products and services we can launch. Also very excited to, you know, not just be me running the company. I'm sure that, you know, with all of the things that we're doing, um, we'll be able to, and we need to expand to a few more people, right? So I think that's really fun for me. Yeah, well done, well done. And how are your energy levels? Are you 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 sort of is this sustainable at the moment, or are you you working every waking moment? I think it's sustainable. So I maybe it's because I'm relatively younger, I can work a lot of hours, but I think I also know how to get some downtime when I can. Um, so when I'm not working, I really try to do sometimes absolutely nothing, like not not like hard reading. I try to really make sure to take time to do things that are absolutely non-intellectual, not work-related. So let's say playing a game or just watching videos. I think having a hobby is really good, um, a demanding hobby. So for example, with me, I recently got into fish tanks and aquascaping. So I'm forced to clean my fish tank once a week. And that is, um, you know, an hour of cleaning, you know, a few fish tanks. So forces me to take a break and think about nothing but that. <laughs> I think with HubSpot, I think what's really interesting also for people who are looking into the media industry is that HubSpot is not necessarily a media company, yet they acquired the hustle. And I think that's an exciting trend to see because a lot of people expect media companies to be bought out by other media companies. But now maybe with how a lot of people are looking into content, like you know how, for example, TikTok is driving a lot of sales and things like that. Maybe more companies will find, more media companies will find successful exits through other means, like, for example, HubSpot and other kinds of companies that may not be media companies, but are looking to develop a media arm. And I think that's an exciting trend to watch. And that's the power of, you know, you're working on distribution, you're working on eyes and ears, and that's super valuable to the right people, isn't it? And of course, you know, people with products, all these companies out there with products are just desperate to distribute, to to find the means of getting it out to, to new clients. So, it's, it's really powerful once you build these audiences and uh, yeah, well done, well done. I'm super excited Thank to you. see your, your journey. So Amanda, of course, I expect absolutely everyone listening to this to, to sign up to Backscoop. It is, it is free, of course. And um, yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit. So just what is Backscoop like? And it's four days a week now, is it? And how do people yeah. sign up? It's four days a week and you'll get it every morning. 6 a.m. Singapore time, Philippine time. I'm sure, you know, it's just a few hours difference for everybody else in Southeast Asia. And, you know, you just subscribe by heading to www.backscoop.com. You go to the website, wait for it to, you know, open. And then there, there's a very simple landing page for you to get on and just type in your email. You click subscribe. In a few minutes, you'll get a welcome from us. And then the next day, you'll receive um, an email from us. We publish Tuesdays to Fridays. Fantastic. 
Well done, Amanda. And again, congratulations on your growth and, and your now first year in business with Backscoop. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I know that it's a hard journey and I really appreciate it. That was Amanda Kua. She is the founder of Backscoop. I encourage all of you to go and check out Backscoop. That's at backscoop.com and subscribe. It's a great newsletter. It is free, so go and check it out. As always, if you want any of the show notes or links, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Or if you want to send us an email, ask us anything, just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.